If you've ever considered the opportunity of buying and owning rental properties, today's guest will inspire you. In this episode, we're joined by Angelica Resto, manager of our South Nashua branch and longtime employee of Triangle Credit Union. Angelica joins us to discuss her experience as a real estate owner and how she manages the responsibilities of running a successful rental property business. Stay tuned. You're listening to Triangle's Making Money Personal Podcast, where we engage in real talk about financial matters that affect our community. Today's episode is sponsored by Triangle Credit Union, recently voted Best Credit Union in New Hampshire. And we're live. Welcome, everybody, to the Making Money Personal Podcast. I'm Liz Costa here with Terry Connolly, and we are so excited to introduce today's guest. So joining us today is Angelica Resto. She's Triangle Branch Manager, mom of three, a Nashua resident, and we're so happy to have you on. Welcome, Angelica. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Super excited to be here. Just one tad correction, though. Soon to be a mom of four because I'm I'm that crazy. But yes. Congratulations, Angelica. So if anybody listening has, I don't know if they know or not, but Angelica has been at Triangle for how many years now? 15, going on 15 years. actually. So wow. you, and you started when you were like four? A toddler. Yeah, I started <laughs> as a toddler. You know? Triangles in your that. blood then, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. It's, it's, I like to tell people triangle is embedded in my DNA. Um, <laughs> well, that would explain. So you started as a teller, right? And then eventually you've worked your way to manager, branch manager, right? Yeah, yeah. started as a part-time teller, then contact center rep, failed miserably at that, you know, a a very humbling experience. Um, That could be a topic for another day. Um, And then (laughs) went back to being a teller for a brief period, became a financial service rep, then assistant branch manager, and now I'm in my current role as a branch manager. You know what, Angelica, I remember you in all of these roles. Right. Yes, we worked together that long. There was a time where naively I wanted to take over Terry's job because I just saw her um, walking around the branches, putting up promotions. I'm like, I can do that. I totally. Um, I miss the part that you have to be somewhat creative to do that role. Uh, which I am not. <laughs> I did get a little nervous because Angelica got to the point where she was like, I'm taking you out. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> She's eyeing your position. Yeah, want, I, want, I want that job. I was like, oh no. <laughs> Terry, those are some really big allegations. And then let's want to be sued for defamation. I would say, I'm retracting I would say, it right now. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> Although between you and I and everybody listening, there might have been some threats, but they were very gentle threats. <laughs> Well, I'm happy you found your current spot at our DW yes, branch as a manager, absolutely. and it seems to be working out well for you because you've been there yes, for most days. Yes. <laughs> well, again, thank you, Angelica, for joining us. So we really wanted to have you on because, you know, you're a successful branch manager at Triangle, but you also have this side business that you're doing. You're, you own investment properties, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. we wanted to talk a little bit about that. We want to know a little bit about your experience with it and, and just sharing what you've learned through the process. Cause there's a lot going on today, you know, in the world of buying and selling real estate. So mm-hmm. we want to get your thoughts and just kind of have you share a little bit about, you know, this journey that you've been on. So I yeah. guess one of the first questions that we have for you is like, what was your real motivation for wanting to get into 
this investment property adventure? Yeah, I, I have to be honest, it was not at all my idea. Um, I, like most people, I dreamed about the big house with the white picket fence being our first and forever home. Um, it was really my husband who always had this dream of owning and managing rental properties. So after many, many conversations, some of them heated, we decided that um, strategically it made more sense for our first property that we own together to be a multifamily just because of the requirements for down payments and the, the advantages of doing it that way. Um, so that we bought our first property was a two family home. Um, and then we realized, well, wait a second, we could actually make money doing this um, and kind of supplement our income in this way. Um, and then we thought in the short term, great, we're supplementing our income in the long term. This is a great retirement fund or it's a great college fund for our kids. It's a great inheritance for our kids. Um, so that's kind of how we went from owning a two family home to now owning um, two different rental properties, a total of five units um, and expanding our property portfolio. In terms of, you know, when you guys got started, did you guys have any challenges like that you had to face right from the very beginning? And if so, how did, you know, what did you guys do to overcome them? Yeah, I think the biggest part was not knowing what you don't know, right? Um, when you have, I think one of the scariest things about owning and managing rental properties is there becomes a moment where you have vacant units that you become a little desperate and you're just looking to get someone in because you have this mortgage that needs to be paid. Um, and that can lead to some really, I don't want to say scary moments, but some for opportunities for mistakes to happen. So um, maybe not properly screening a tenant and, and getting someone in that may not be a reliable tenant to pay the rent um, or someone that may just not care for the property because ultimately it's not their own property. So that was some of our biggest fears going into it was how do we make sure that we don't become desperate enough to just let anybody move in without doing our due diligence first. So it was really setting up like those parameters where what tools are we using to screen our tenants? You know, are we doing a credit check? Are we doing a background check? Are we calling references? Um, those kind of things. And, you know, making sure you're collecting a deposit mm. just to cover you in case, you know, when that individual moves out, do you have enough funds to repair, you know, if there are damages? Right. So I actually have a, a couple of follow-ups then on that one. Um, mm -hmm. When, so if anybody is interested in looking at a rental property as an investment, should you be looking at, is that one of the considerations, Angelica, that you and McGill uh, considered was, you know, that these people are, all, you know, this particular property already has a tenant. Um, mm -hmm. And is it better to go into a rental situation or owning a rental situation if there is an existing tenant there? Yeah, that's a great question. It really depends, right? So if you have, if you're looking to buy a, a property that has reliable tenants, meaning they've been there for a number of years, you're getting good references from, from the prior owner and the rent, I think the most important part is the rent is at market value. It doesn't make sense to have them move out at that point. However, if you're looking at a property and the rent is below market value, and you could see, hey, if I maybe do some minor upgrades to the unit, could I rent it at market value? That would make sense to do. 
Um, and at that point, you could give the tenant the choice to say, hey, I'm going to make these upgrades. Effective this date, the rent will go up. Is that agreeable to you? If not, we would need you to vacate within X amount of days. Um, one of the strategies that Miguel and I did when we bought our property in Manchester, which is a three unit, is we phased out the tenants. So we, so we wouldn't have three vacant units. We had one tenant leave, completely updated that unit, moved in new tenants, worked our way down, always giving them the option to say, hey, you're more than welcome to stay at the new rate, you know, taking into account all these upgrades that we've done to the unit. Um, and that has worked out well for us. So, okay, here's my other, here's my other question. Let's say that you're in a situation or somebody who's listening to the podcast, they're in a, you know, they're in a situation where they're, they're definitely ready to, to purchase, but the property doesn't have any tenants. Like, is there um, a certain amount of cash that you should have on hand when you're, when you're considering uh, purchasing a rental property so that you can cover the mortgage or, you know, since you don't have a, uh, any income coming in from the rental part, right? So do you have like three months, you know, mortgage on hand or like, is there a, uh, a standard, I should say, for that? Yes. And that's actually something that is usually set forth by the lending institution, oh, okay. um, especially if you don't have, um, especially if you're buying the property and you don't have the 20% to put down. So if you are already PMI insurance, which is private mortgage insurance, they have, so you could have your lender who has lending guidelines, and then you have the insurance company who has separate guidelines, um, and they usually tend to be more cautious. So they would want you to have a reserve. So in the event that something were to happen, whether it be with your employment or you have a vacant unit, um, to know that you can still fulfill your financial obligations to this property. So yes, usually six months worth of um, mortgage, like six months worth of your mortgage taxes and insurance is what is recommended. So I have a question about this whole process and mm -hmm. coming to this uh, decision that you and your husband kind of came to it together. How has it been for you two to kind of work as a husband and wife team? Like what are some strategies that you guys have kind of figured out have worked for the two of you when it came to making mm -hmm. this big decision and also while running these properties and maintaining them? Yeah, that's a, a big question. Um, I guess it depends on what point of our relationship I'm referencing. In the beginning, it was rough um, because we really needed to separate the business from the personal. Um, and the reason why that was important for us was sometimes the way we talk to our loved ones because we're comfortable with them is a little different than how we would talk to a colleague or a, an actual business partner so for us we really had to learn how to navigate those conversations um, always with respect but the way that i would talk to my business partner making a business decision might be different than the way that i would talk to my husband um, because that tends to be a little bit more emotional that is more hey this is what i want versus hey, this is what our business needs. Um, so navigating that and learning the different, um, I guess, angles. And also one thing that was really helpful for us was identifying our roles. So for me, I tend to be more behind the scenes. I am doing the screening and the financing process and he's more hands-on, daily maintenance, um, repairs, things of that nature. That's him. And so I had to learn He's very great with the boundaries. If I'm being honest, I'm the one that had to really learn um, 
hey, this is his role and I have to trust in his professional skill sets. I don't know anything about construction. So if a bathroom needs to be remodeled, my concern is, is the end product going to be safe and complete and, you know, our tenants are going to be able to properly use um, the unit. Um, how he got there, what materials he used, that is not my concern. That's not my wheelhouse. Um, that's his. And so kind of like, again, just having a clear understanding of what our roles are. Yeah. Does he have a background in construction or contracting? Or he does, this? yeah. Okay, yeah. So he's going into it with his, his industry knowledge too, which really helps, I'm sure. Exactly. And you use your industry knowledge as well with the financing and all that. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I'll say one of the other things I think a valuable lesson I learned, again, I never, owning and, and managing rental properties was never something that I kind of looked into. It just wasn't for me. When Miguel brought it up, I had to be humble enough to say, I know where you want to go. However, I don't know the journey. Like, I don't know the process to get us there. And so I had to reach out to people and say, hey, look, this is ideally what the end goal looks like for me. Help me understand what it takes to get there. Like, what are the financing requirements? Um, who do I need to be in contact with? Like, do I... Can any realtor help me buy a rental property or does it have to be a specific type of realtor? Um, what areas should I be buying in? Those kind of things. And what I found is people love to talk about their area of influence, like where, where are the areas that they're most knowledgeable in. And so when I say humble yourself is being able to admit, I don't have all the answers, but I can call you know, a mortgage originator. I can call somebody in commercial lending and say, look, this is what I'm striving to do. What, what kind of input guidance tips could you give me that would help me get there? Knowing that you have to personally do all the work. These people might give you some insight and some guidance, but you have to be willing to then implement that feedback, that guidance, those instructions. So I'm hearing so, be, be humble enough that you can recognize you may need to rely on other people for their knowledge, but also to trust, mm -hmm. believe in your own ability to then make that, take those steps. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, perfect, perfectly said. So, so Angelica, the other thing too is, you have some resources here at Triangle, just in terms of you know, the people that you work with and, mm -hmm. and whatnot, but how did you actually even go about starting to ask those questions? Like, how did you know to, or who to ask those questions of? Yeah, so to be clear, I asked, people that work within the company. I've even um, asked members that own multiple rental properties to say, look, I think I someday aspire to have as many properties as you have. What are the tricks to the trade? Like, what is it if you were starting out new, what is it that you wish you knew 10 years ago that you know now? Um, and, and having those conversations. So that's what really worked for me. For someone who maybe doesn't work in the finance industry, that is not like, hey, I can call so-and-so in this department. Yes, it was a little bit easier for me because I knew I knew who works in what department, but you can still pick up, you can still call your local credit union, um, pick up the phone and say, I need to speak to somebody in mortgages and have a very similar conversation. Um, is it a little bit more nerve wracking because it's a complete stranger on the other end of the line? Yes. But again, these are people that are committed to being of service. And so I, I have found that they are very willing to just help. 
I don't think that the people that helped me along the way were helping me because I was a triangle employee per se. They were helping me because I was a member at the end of the day, looking for guidance. Um, and they want to establish those relationships. I have another question actually. And so this, this mm-hmm. is kind of, it's in relation to the, like the market per se. Were you mm-hmm. ever intimidated by the market prices? I mean, cause I, for one, every time I look out there, I just, I, I get really kind of discouraged just to see prices continually rise. So to take a risk, like buying an investment mm-hmm. property, what kinds of, you know, apprehensions or, or how did you get past that, the fear of the market out there? Yeah. Sometimes you don't get past the fear. Sometimes it's two in the morning and you're like, you need to get out of bed and go sit down and have like a cup of coffee, believe it or not, or drink a glass of water um, and just sit with those kind of uncomfortable feelings. Um, And that's part of the process, I think. Um, But to answer your question, is the market intimidating? Absolutely. Even now it's intimidating. I think especially now when we're seeing like how crazy these prices and like inflation and people overbidding, um, For me, I think what I find comfort in is, fortunately, I'm in my 30s, and these are properties that I'm looking to hold on to long term. And so I have the time, God willing, to wait this out. So I can can go in high and hopefully in 30 years when I'm ready to retire, um, I know my home will be paid off and I know that it'll be another source of income for me. So that's really what I rely on. The other piece of it that I think most people or people that are new into the rental property business don't quite grasp is you can buy a property. Let's say it's a three family and it's on the market for 500,000. And you're thinking, well, how does my income then allow me to finance a property for 500,000? That figure seems like mind boggling to some, right? But what you're not taking into account is that, the rental income from that property that's being generated is also being used to qualify you for that loan. Mm-hmm. So is that, so that's another piece of it um, that I think people kind of miss sometimes. Yes, there's always the risk that you might have a vacant unit, but chances are if it's a three family, you're not going to have all three units vacant at the same time. Um, and you do have to be cautious with your funds. You know, you want to make sure you have a reserve. You want to make sure that should something happen, Um, and a unit becomes vacant unexpectedly that you have the means to cover um, the mortgage just for your own safekeeping, right? Because it's a big investment. But yeah, it's no different than going out and buying a car. You don't know what could happen. You know, you could lose your job tomorrow. It's still something that's needed. It's still, so that's kind of what we tell ourselves. Yeah. You kind of consider all of the elements beyond just the, just the market price, right? Which can be Absolutely. the one thing that intimidates people, but it's like, there's other factors to, to think about. And you sound like, it sounds like you have a really realistic view of that. And that's what other people interested in doing this should have as well. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So Angelica, you have properties both in Nashua and Manchester. Um, and for people who aren't familiar with our area. We're in Southern New Hampshire and uh, Nashua is right over the border from Massachusetts. And then Manchester is about 15 minutes away. Manchester is the largest city. This is just a little uh, extra geography lesson for those who are not (laughs) familiar with the area. (laughs) Terry needed to flex her knowledge. (laughs) I know, right? No kidding. (laughs) Flex, flex. Um, So is is there a noticeable difference in doing business in Nashua versus Manchester? 
I would say for me, there definitely is. Um, and it, it's because of the fact that I have grown up in Nashua. So I'm very familiar with the Nashua area um, and not so much with Manchester. So like if you tell me Nashua and like you give me an address, nine out of 10 times, I'll be able to pinpoint where in the city it's located. And I could tell you that's an area I definitely want to invest in. That's not an area I want to invest in for whatever reason. Manchester, I have a different relationship. I'm not that familiar. And so that's something that you definitely want to be mindful of um, when you're buying rental properties because you don't know the area. If you don't know the area, it can be, can be a little bit challenging to kind of navigate yeah. that. Um, and also understanding, um, it's a great example. I have, the property I have in Nashua is, they're four bedroom units. The property I have in Manchester are also four bedroom units. But the rents are different because I'm, I'm in two different cities. The rent market is different in Nashville than it is in Manchester. You could actually get a lot more rent in Nashville than you can in the area that I am in Manchester. Um, so knowing that before you go into it is also a really important piece of information. Mm. I didn't even think about that. Like from a city to city standpoint, I mean, I guess it makes sense. But again, those things that, you know, people don't really think about yeah. is di different cities or towns have different you know, rent levels. Is that like yeah, rent, and rent by size of unit? Is that like their standards that these cities set? Like price? No, I think it's just, it's, it's based on the market. And so, and again, depending on how desirable the area is that you live in. Um, so I'm sure that there are parts of Manchester that I could be getting a lot more rent, but that's just not where our multifamily unit is. And usually when you're thinking like multifamilies, they're usually in the inner city. Um, and so even that offers a different pay scale than if you were, you know, outside of the inner city. Um, yeah, it, it definitely makes a difference. It's funny too, because I know, you know, my oldest daughter is uh, 21. So she has a lot of friends that are, you know, just getting they're either just getting out of college or they're ready to make that first step into having their own place and to renting mm -hmm. their home place. And a lot of them are actually looking in at Manchester because it is a little bit um, more affordable there. So even though the rent is lower, you might, you might have more, there seems to be more enticement to, for people to, to rent there. Um, you know, so at least mm -hmm. you have the potential uh, tenants that are coming in. So Absolutely. And also it's a bigger city. And I think for like the younger crowd, there's a lot more to do in Manchester. Yes. Yeah. Um, you probably don't want to hear that, Terry, because your daughter's going to be out there partying <laughs> in the streets. But <laughs> what are you, what are you but saying? But I think that's also enticing. <laughs> I'm just saying she's doing the right thing, making sure that she's finding an environment that is enjoyable to her. Um, but, you know, going back to decisions, you know, and finding property, like property locations, you have to think about proximity too, as a landlord, there might be some emergencies that come up that require you to take a drive in the middle, hopefully not the middle of the night, but sometimes yes. Yeah. Um, and so if your property is an hour away, do you really want to be responsible for that hour drive at 10 o'clock at night? Right. You know, versus, you know, right. we live in Nashua. We would prefer to buy properties in Nashua. Everything is within close proximity. We know the area well. Um, it's a little bit easier for us to see and kind of um, manage the the market if you will yeah. yeah no that's a great point yeah really good point. my brother-in-law um he's got a couple properties in connecticut 
So, and he lives in Londonderry, but if something goes wrong, like he's got to drive all the way down there. If there's no one there who, cause he works with some mm-hmm. people down there who can, but if they're not available, I mean, he's got to take the time and go do it himself. And that's a really good point is making sure that you're also within a close proximity for your own sanity. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're starting out like Miguel and I are, it's, it's just the two of us. And so we are fortunate that he is so handy and can do a lot of the repairs himself but he also works a full-time job and so i can't even imagine having to take that long of a drive you know knowing that he has other responsibilities the next day and yeah so that that wouldn't work for us so we do have to be mindful of the location of the properties that we're looking to invest in yeah so how do you structure this all angelica like do you for this the purpose of a business structure do you LLC these properties or are they under personal? Like how do you, what's a good way of getting people to think about how to structure it if they're interested in doing investment mm-hmm. properties? Yeah. So I've done it both ways and I can get into a little bit more detail as to why I structured it that way. Um, ideally you want everything in an LLC just because of a liability standpoint, it releases the liability from you as an individual. Um, so definitely an LLC would be the way to go. However, because of how we bought these properties um, they were at one point or another they were primary residents so they have to be under our individual names Um, the reason why we purchased them that way is because when you're buying an investment property you need to have 20 to 25 percent down that's a big chunk of money when we're talking about the prices of homes today right what people don't realize is if you could buy a four-family home and if it's your first home, that still counts as a primary residence. So you can get away with putting as little as 3% down. Now, let's say I live in the property, I live in one unit, I rent out the other three, I'm there for two years, and then I decide, you know what, I'm gonna buy another property, and this time I'm gonna buy a three-family unit. You can transition from a four-family unit to a three-family unit, still considered as a primary residence, And you're not going to get away with putting only 3% down, but you might put 5% down instead of having to put 20% down um, as an investment property, because again, it's a primary residence. Let's say I had done it in the reverse. I bought my first home. It's a single family home. I love it. And then I realized, hey, I could really use rental income to kind of supplement my income. So I buy a single family home. I'm not ready to sell that home. I'm going to keep it in my in my portfolio but i want to buy a two-family home or a three-family home well guess what automatically because it's a multi-unit home and you already own a single family home you're putting 20 percent down wow they're going to ask you for that and so for somebody who's starting out who may not have the cash on hand to put 20 percent down but wants to get into this rental business the smartest way to do it is to start buying at least start with the four family home and work your way down four, three, two, and then one. And by then you'll have four properties, countless units, and could move into a single family home, still only having to put maybe four or 5% down, um, which is kind of the structure that Miguel and I did. So we have now three properties. The most I put down is 5% on each of them. Wow. Um, wow. And now we're, we're actually going this weekend to look at a couple of um, potential investment properties. And at this point, after owning three separate properties is when we would have to put 20% down because that's very clearly going to be an investment property. 
um, right. that we're not going to be moving into. Wow. That's, that's so exciting though. Um, and, and that's a great strategy. So super cool. Super cool. Speaking of strategies, I have one. We already kind of talked a little bit um, about the tenants and, you know, if you have existing tenants and if you looking for new tenants, but going back to the, uh, the latter in the sense that if you did not have any tenants uh, in the property when you purchased it, what would be mm -hmm. your strategy to find invent and vet um, new tenants that are coming in? Yeah, there's a lot of resources out there. So if you're someone that is just really anxious about the whole idea of having to vet and screen potential new tenants, there are organizations out there that will actually, for a fee, like advertise your property and screen tenants for you. Um, and so I think for someone who is completely new to this, that would be a great tool. Um, if you're someone who has the means to be able to pay for that, I mean, it's not super expensive, but again, when you're getting into uh, the rental business, so much of your money is tied up between the down payment and the reserves. Um, if that's not an option for you, what I would recommend is you can do advertisements anywhere like Facebook, um, different social media accounts so even advertising that way word of mouth is great like when we first started we just put signs out in the lawn um just renting and then our phone number and people would call us and then we would go through the screening process so there's a for us what worked is there was a lot of um online websites that allow you for a small fee and you could actually pass that fee along to your potential tenant or to the applicant so you can um, they provide an application, there's an application fee, and that application fee covers the credit check, the background check, um, and you get all that information. So that would be what I would recommend. I had no idea that there were companies out there that did that, but I guess it makes okay. sense. I mean, why not, right? There's a market for everything. <laughs> Absolutely, right. <laughs> okay, well, at this point, we're just going to take a quick break. Um, just to hear a word from our sponsor and we will be back. It's time to take your financial education to the next level. Triangle Credit Union is excited to share we just launched our new educational website, TCU University. You'll find financial guides, tips, and resources you can use in your everyday life. Explore the website to watch webinars, view presentations, read blogs, and listen to new podcast episodes. Get financial education at your fingertips with TCU University. Visit triangleuniversity.org to explore, learn, and connect. And we're back. So what are a few things that you wish you knew when you started out? I mean, we already kind of covered about like, you know, some of the thought process behind it and the investigation and stuff. But like, if there's something you wish you knew back then, what would that be? Um. There's so much um, in terms of the rental, like actually getting into the rental business. When we first bought, when we first bought our first property it was actually a two family. I wish I had known then that strategy about the four family transitioning to a three family, because I would have then bought a four, then a three, uh, you know, and kind of worked my way down. So that's one thing I wish I knew in terms of the tenant screening process. I would say renting to family, as cliche as it sounds, is really just a horrible idea. 
Um, <laughs> really? So away from renting. Uh, it's just, it's really hard to set those boundaries of, mm. hey, we're family, but like, don't call me on a Saturday at midnight unless, you know, the house is burning down or there's massive water damage, you know, like mm. those kind of things. Or the standard of this is a business that we're running. And so the rent is due on the first, you have a grace period, but the extension from that grace period requires a late fee. When you're dealing with family, it's like, you feel like the bad guy if you have to charge a late fee and you have to remember, this is a business that I'm running. Um, And so I'd say a good rule of thumb is as much as we love our family, renting to family can get a little complicated um, (laughs) because you don't know what hat you're wearing when you're interacting with, with that relative. Are you the relative today or are you the landlord? Mm. And in some cases, one of those are less favorable than the other. Um, So yeah, I would say it's a good rule of thumb. Do not rent to family. Spare yourself the heartache and the frustration. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That reminds me about one of your first points about you and your husband working together, that whole thing of understanding you know, mm-hmm. this is the the spouse hat, you know, this is me and my husband, but I have to also see him uh-huh. as a business partner. And and with family, I can see exactly how that would be yeah. tricky. And it reminds yeah. me of when people talk about like lending money to family too. Like when you when you let family members borrow money, it's the same, same kind of problem. I never thought that it applies to rental. Yeah. Well. And I would say even with like your spouse, there's already a form of compromise and understanding, right? Like for Miguel and I were raising kids. We've really had to merge our parenting styles together. We've had to learn to compromise. And ultimately, I think in any great marriage, it's not about individuals winning, but what is the best outcome for the marriage? So we've already, it was almost like transferring that strategy into our business partnership, right? So we had that baseline, that foundation to work from where when you're dealing with a relative that you're renting to, you don't necessarily have to compromise on on a lot of other things. And so it's a little bit harder to kind of switch the gears and say, well, wait a second. I understand you have some concerns here, but as a landlord and as a family member, I would love to be able to let you go three months without paying rent. But as a landlord who has a mortgage to pay, Mm -hmm. that's not feasible. Um, And so, yeah, I would say, Again, I can't say it enough. Right through to family is, um, you know, do what you will, but it is very difficult. Right. So, Angelica, how did you establish those boundaries? Like, did, you know, again, you, it seems like that you have reached out to so many people, um, mm-hmm. you know, who have been good um, resources for you, you know, have given mm-hmm. you some really great advice and things like that. So, but in terms of such a uh, sensitive area, you know, mm-hmm. how did, did you find that information somewhere or, you know, just. No, I think I had enough self-awareness. I can be a little bit of a hothead and a softy owl at the same time. And so one of the rules that Miguel and I had established early on is because at first we weren't necessarily sold on the idea of not renting to family. We were like, if it, Hey, if it works out, it works out. Um, and, but what we did do was if we're going to rent to family, whichever one of us is not directly related to that person is going to handle the, anything to do with the lease, um, anything to do with the property. So if I was renting to a relative of mine, Miguel would be their main point of contact with anything to do regarding the apartment. If it was, if we were renting to a relative of his, I would be the point of contact regarding anything to do with the apartment. And that way, when Miguel got to speak to their relatives, it was about family matters. And it was about just like, 
you know, personal interactions versus the business end. Um, and I think that alleviated a lot of stress from each of us. Um, not to say that there weren't challenges that came with that, but I think it made it a little bit easier to navigate those relationships and establish those boundaries. That's a great who knew point. I was so smart, Terry? You know, I know, when I, was, I know, like you're blowing my mind. When I was angling mind. for your job, who knew that I would have had that much insight? <laughs> I'm, honestly, I'm glad it's just coming out right now. <laughs> Man, this one was a wicked spot. She's wicked. Good point. <laughs> okay. All right. So what? Um, we're just starting to close up here. But what resources uh, did you use, and where did you go to get? We kind of already talked about this, just in terms of insights, lessons, and advice. But mm -hmm. we talked about it more about the the buying and the renting of properties. But mm -hmm. in terms of starting your own business, because you really are in a business, right? Correct. So mm -hmm. it did. Did you have specific resources that you used to start and run your business? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to that idea of you need to be able to visualize what the end goal looks like for you and kind of work it backwards. Okay, so if, if what I want to do is run a successful uh, property management business, that is a true business, a separate identity from who I am as an individual, what does that take? Well, what are the tax benefits to doing that? I would, I spoke to an accountant to say, what are the tax benefits to setting up an LLC? Or is there a way that I structure this where it falls under um, me as the individual? And then what are the benefits and disadvantages of either or? Um, so for us, it was speaking to an accountant first to say, hey, this is, this is our plan and what makes the most sense. Um, speaking to a mortgage originator to say like, this is where we are right now. We don't own any properties right now but we eventually want to own multiple rental properties and have a primary residence okay well how do we structure that that is the most advantageous way for us that's going to reduce the amount of out-of-pocket expenses that we have up front um, and then when we realized hey we want to really form this into an llc um, and future properties would be considered technically investment properties. Well, then you deal with the commercial department, commercial lending, and kind of get their guidance. So that's that's how we structured it. Again, and then one of the added benefits was just because of proximity and having interactions with business members that own and manage rental properties, getting insight from them. Everything from dealing with like pest con pest control issues to um, lending and financing. So I've gotten a lot of great feedback and ideas and tips from, I guess, every corner of this business, you know, whether it be the lending piece, the accounting piece, or those individuals that are like boots on the ground that are doing this day in and day out. All right. And so Angelica, when you guys first, you know, just had this epiphany that this is where you wanted to go or McGill, you know, mm -hmm. shared the idea with you, what was the time frame? Did this take you a year to get going, two years to get going, three weeks? Like, you know, what was the general time frame? Um, it took Miguel quite a while to convince me. But once Shocker. Once he convinced me, right? <laughs> yes. Wait, if it's I not a little bit hot headed and somewhat stubborn. <laughs> um, once he convinced me, it was pretty quick. Like I would say within within three to four months we were meeting with a realtor and buying our first property again it's important to note we were buying our first primary residence so i didn't at that point we didn't have the stressors of needing an llc 
or really talking business per se. Right now, at that point, it was just, we're buying a property. And so it was just meet with a realtor. Um, and, and that was pretty much it. It kind of just, I guess we were lucky in the sense that it scaled organically. Mm. Um, and so we had time to grow, mature, and develop our skills as our business grew. It wasn't something where it was like, you know, six months, we have four properties. No, it's been realistically, it's kind of funny. We grew our rental portfolio the same way we grew our family. Like we, every, we have a kid, we buy a rental property. <laughs> and so you're not having kids every six months. You know? <laughs> so that's kind of how it's worked for us, which is really fitting because I mentioned earlier, we're expecting baby number four. And this weekend, we're actually going to look at two rental properties. So Miguel and I just crack up that it's um, at some point, we're going to have to buy rental properties without having kids because they're really expensive. And we just, you know, I think we have hit our threshold. But yes. Oh, super personal que- uh, story, though. But uh, I saw Angelica about oh, probably about six weeks ago, and we were uh, in the elevator. And um, she got in and she said, well, I need to tell you something. And I looked at her and I said, you're either having a kid or you're buying another property. (laughs) That's both. That's right. Yes. Yes. Uh, (laughs) I'm that predictable. (laughs) They're already, they're already making bets on, you know, when the fifth property is coming around. (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, for us, it started as, there's there's this idea of well at what point is you know one property too many right at what point do we do we say we have more than what we can handle and i think you need to know your bandwidth you need to know what each of you how much can you contribute because it is a balance you know um for us family is extremely important and so either working at an organization or developing our own business to the point where we can focus on nothing else but that business is more of a compromise than we're willing to give. Right. right? So we really had to have an idea of where is our cap? Mm-hmm. And at first it was, well, we'll have one property for each kid because strategically it makes sense, college fund, retirement, um, and inheritance. Right. And so mm-hmm. now we're like, well, oh, wait, there's a business here and maybe we could handle more properties than kids, but what does that, what kind of sacrifice does that require? And, you know, for Miguel and I, we're painfully aware that the more we continue to invest in, in, in rental properties, for one of us, the primary business is going to have to be these rental properties. Right. Um, because if you want to have longevity in this business, if you want to properly manage these, these um, buildings, you need to have someone that's there readily available to do so. Um, and so eventually that will be Miguel's primary job will be the property management piece of it. Um, so we look forward for that day to come. We're not there yet, um, but that's, you know, having those goals, setting them and having an idea, I think is really is key to that success. I love that. I absolutely love mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Cause you guys are doing this right now with, you know, a young family and uh, two full-time jobs. And that's just yeah. absolutely mind-blowing, you know. Um, I can't wait to get to the end of the day to watch another episode of Gilmore Girls. So here you are, like, <laughs> like, you know, just absolutely killing it. So yeah. I'm super proud of you, for sure. Thank you. We can't take all the credit. You know, they, they do say it takes a village to raise a family. And we're really fortunate that we have been able to create a village 
both in terms of our family structure, but also in our business. Like I, I think when I look at the resources and connections and relationships that Miguel and I have developed just with our rental business, that's a village in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think even having that mentality has been really helpful for us to say, ultimately the two of us have to make these really tough decisions, but we don't have to just rely on our own individual knowledge. Like we can tap into this village. Um, and so I think that's an important key. Absolutely. Excellent. All right. Well, we're going to um, transition to our super fun uh, portion of the show. You ready? This is our rapid fire segment. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to ask you, I I only came up with nine questions. Actually, okay, but don't ask me anything math related because although I work in banking (laughs) and I manage properties, math is not a strong suit. I'm just going to throw that out there. (laughs) That means if if Angelica can do it, anybody can do it. That's the, that's the code. Okay. That's that's the key here. (laughs) Where's the exit button on this call? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, mention, basically, it's good. I'm going to give you a choice. And then you don't have to embellish your uh, answer. You just pick a choice. Okay. So that's, okay. that's the rapid fire part of it. Okay. So here we go. You ready? Ready. Okay. Beach or lake? Lake. Martini or margarita? Margarita all the way. <laughs> Game night or movie night? Game night. Steak or seafood? Steak. HD, HGTV or History Channel? Definitely HDTV. <laughs> Woman after my own heart. New York City or Boston? Mm. Depends. Let's say New York. What'd you say? Let's say New York. New York. Okay, good. Gardening or shopping? Shopping. Marshalls or Macy's? Marshalls. Oh, yes. You know, I'll be bougie. I'll say Macy's. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, last one. Staycation or vacation? Vacation. If Miguel's paying. Vacation (laughs) if I am. Good answers. Oh, I love I love these rapid these uh this rapid session because it just gives you so much insight. We actually sh- for future Lizzie, we should start off with this just to get some insight into the guest. That's oh, and sure. then we can draw on them throughout the I conversation. Know. I love that. Yes. Yes. Oh, <laughs> you've been awesome per usual. Thank you guys for having me. You know how much I love to chat, and so this was very a very pleasant experience. So thank you. Thank you so much for being on today. That's going to wrap up our Making Money Personal podcast. Just again, a thank you shout out to our guest, Angelica Resto, my co-host, Harry Connolly. And last but not least, thank you to our sponsor, Triangle Credit Union. If you've enjoyed today's show, we would love to hear from you. Email your thoughts about this show or any other ideas to tcupodcast at trianglecu.org. If you subscribe to this podcast, that's awesome. And thank you so much. If you don't, please hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts.